Good morning, Proclaim Anglican Church. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm very happy to be your emergency preacher this morning. Um, Reese gave me a ring. He's, he's got COVID. And I asked him what the passage was. Well, first I asked what the book was, Isaiah. Good. Isaiah 11. I said, I'll, I'll take it because it's a great chapter. And uh, so it's a joy to be here. I'd just like to share with you about it addresses a lot of really great things. Anxiety is something we're going to talk about. We're going to look at how the world should be. We're going to look at how the world will be at Jesus' second coming. And there's also a really, I, I, this is a sort of theological nerdy thing, but there's a wonderful little puzzle in here that anticipates the Trinity in a really cool way. Uh, that I, I, I'm really kind of excited about, that I'm going to talk, talk about that as well. Let me pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Isaiah's prophecy. We thank you for Isaiah 11 that speaks to our time and, and our future as your people. And I pray, Father, that uh, if we're anxious or heavy-hearted in any way this morning, that this, this word will be a word of comfort and lift us up this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So anxiety is a horrible part of life and it's a normal part of life in a fallen world, whether you are just going through life's normal stresses, whether you love people. If you love someone, you'll have anxiety because you care about them. Or it may even be that you've had bouts of clinically diagnosable anxiety I just think anxiety is horrible, though, horrible to feel. It's a horrible feeling. And I, learning to manage your anxiety is a really important life skill, as much for a Christian as for a, anyone. So don't think that being a Christian just solves anxiety. In the time of Isaiah, interestingly, though, there's an anxiety that, that we don't experience that I will call national anxiety, that they, as a nation, are anxious because they have neighbours who do not like them who want to come and take over their country. And in Australia, I don't think, really think we fear that. There is not a big nation nearby that's threatening to take us over. And I wonder how we would handle, with all the other anxieties on our plate, how would Aussies handle national anxiety? And it has happened in Australia, like, for example, in World War I, and World War II, there was a threat of invasion and uh, of our role in, in global politics. And the whole nation was anxious for their well-being. But I guess today, as you drove to church, you, you weren't thinking, you know, is society going to fall apart? We get invaded. But that was the situation for Isaiah in the 8th century. There's two threats. The northern neighbour, Assyria, are just slowly taking over their northern tribes of Israel, and Assyria are really knocking at the door. And then behind Assyria is an even nastier, bigger global power, Babylon. And in the story of the Bible, God has kind of already said they are going to come and they're just going to drive a bulldozer through you. And so there's a lot of anxiety in Isaiah. And Isaiah 11, therefore... It's, it's this oasis of relief. It's this moment of assurance of what life will be like when there's no anxiety. 
So if you are anxious, maybe it could be a good exercise to, to read Isaiah 11 quietly at home and just think about eternity. You, you, you'll, you'll get some peace, I'm sure. Because Isaiah, by the way, is the book where I think in the Bible you, you get the idea that first you get the idea that heaven is not clouds, but Isaiah 65, God promises, I will make a new heavens and a new earth. And so the idea of eternity as new creation starts in Isaiah. And the images of Isaiah 11 of, of animals getting along and um, a great king are all kind of about a creation, about a government. Uh, now, in Isaiah's time, the kings are corrupt, they are idolatrous, they're syncretistic, they mingle different religions to suit themselves, they're, they're unjust, they exploit the poor, they're very wicked. And God, God says, well, let me show you what it will be like when I'm in charge, when my son is in charge, the Messiah. And just listen to how good this is going to be. A stump will come forth from the shoot, uh, the come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. A branch from his roots will bear fruit. We'll come back to that gardening image. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. Everything that the kings of Israel were not. If you've ever done a daily Bible reading program and you're just reading about one and two kings, one, two chronicles, and it's like dodgy king, and, he, and the next one is a dodgy king, next one's a half okay, then back to dodgy. It's very discouraging. But this king who's coming, the Holy Spirit will fill him with all these things, knowledge, counsel, wisdom. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. It's a great picture of a time when not just God's people, but the entire world will have God's true king at the center and it will be a joy to have such a king because he'll, he'll be perfect and he'll be led by the Holy Spirit. Have you ever wondered um, in the Gospels, right, how much the Holy Spirit is involved in the life of Jesus? Even though he's the son of God, he's by definition going to be perfect and sinless, and yet the Holy Spirit is empowering everything Jesus does. So at his baptism, the Holy Spirit falls on him. At, in the temptations in the desert, the Holy Spirit sustains him. At the beginning of Jesus' preaching ministry, he opens Isaiah 61 and says, quotes, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. It seems that Jesus needs the Holy Spirit more than anyone. Or, you know, he's the one who doesn't need the Spirit. Actually, the opposite is true. Jesus is this Spirit-filled King of Isaiah 11. When you read those things in the Gospel, you're meant to think about this picture. Here is finally a perfect King. And so it is Trinitarian because you've got the Son of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit in wisdom and in righteousness, ruling for the glory of the Father, not ruling for himself. There used to be a um, TV comedy show called Yes, Prime Minister. Do you know that show? And the basic joke every week was, you think the Prime Minister is powerful, but you, all he has to have is advisors who like tilt the advice. They give him 
by a starter so he'll make the decisions that they want him to make. And that, I think that actually happens in society today with our leaders. If you think about the TV show The West Wing, it's, it's a show about the president, but it's about all the people who advise the president. And that's kind of what goes wrong today with governments. They get bad advice. But Isaiah says, well, when Jesus is fully in charge, he will, he will not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear because, you know, he won't follow misleading data, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. So he's actually going to know what the right thing to do always will be. And then to be near Jesus is, is to be transformed like him. And there's also a sense here that, you know, you know when your people go to court, it's a fight over a will or something, and the judge does a settlement that's not quite right. Or even worse, it happens today that the innocent get away, uh, the innocent are punished and the wicked get away with things in human courts. But in the court of King Jesus, when it's fully arrived, it says, with righteousness he'll judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth, and he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. So only the right people will get punished, and all the innocent and the poor and the oppressed will be looked after in Jesus' perfect kingdom. This is a great assurance. Sometimes people have said to me they're worried about what will the day of judgment be like. Like, you know, will it be, they're worried it will be unfair that people will be kind of ambushed on the day of judgment and there'll be some kind of accusation they weren't ready for. But the assumption of the whole Bible story is always that the justice of Jesus will be perfect. No one will, everyone will get a fair trial on the day of judgment, according to Isaiah 11. And so this is a great hope, and it's a wonderful thing because I'm very aware of how broken governments are, that even when we have governments that mean well, they can be incompetent, and government's incompetency can hurt a lot of people. And then you've got actual governments that are trying to do evil sometimes, and they, you know, they reward the wicked and they punish the poor. And so Isaiah says... When God's kingdom has fully come, there will just be a perfect government with Jesus at the center. It's going to be great. And so when you wake up in that world, will you have anxiety? Well, the rest of the chapter goes to say no. And it paints this zoological picture of the animal kingdom, of all the animals getting along. And it's kind of a bit weird. Um, I'm not even sure it's meant to be literally... In the new creation, the wolf and the lamb are all going to get along and not eat each other. But it's a picture of, um, it's trying to say, what's the best way we could describe no anxiety? Let's describe all the animals hugging and holding hands. Let me read you a little bit. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. Another, this is a fun part because one of the most anxious parts of a lot of people's lives is being a parent. 
you're worried that your kid is going to get bitten by a wolf or something like that, and here the kid's just playing with the wolf, you know, and leading them. And then, and then he sticks his hand in the snake's den. Did you get that part of the reading? The nursing child, so I don't know, this is your six-month-old baby, shall play over the hole of the cobra. That's not good parenting, is it? <laughs> that would make any, any mother anxious to see her child playing over the hole of the, of the cobra's den. But what it's trying to do is, is describe in the new creation, we'll be with Jesus at the centre, we'll be with our loved ones in Christ, and we won't have to worry about our loved ones. It's going to be an amazing peace, an eternal peace that we have in the new creation. I really like that video on the internet. Have you seen the one where the little girl saying to her mum, can I pet that dog? And over the veranda is a brown bear. It's not a dog. It's, it's a small brown bear. And the kid just really wants to put his hand up. But these bears will kill you. They'll maul you. It's like, can I pet that dog? Can I pet that? And the mother's like, no. And Isaiah's saying, you can pet that dog in heaven, you know. The, the, you know, the child can play with the, the wild animal. So the picture is trying to say peace, harmony in the new creation. And most of all, what is wrong with our world? That, what is wrong with our world is that people turn their back on God. But here in this picture, they shall not hurt or destroy my holy mountain, for the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Does anyone know what percentage that is? The waters cover the sea? Exactly. Exactly, Kylie. I googled it. Seventy-one percent. But actually, if you think about it, maybe it's a trick question. As the waters cover the sea, maybe that's hundred percent. Because it doesn't say as the waters cover the earth. Anyway, but the world will be filled with the knowledge of God, and so Jesus will be the centre of the new creation, and we will all know God and see him face to face, and there'll be no one who denies God or tries to rebel against him. So this is, a, this is the picture, friends. If you're filled with anxiety, think about heaven. Think about the new heavens and the new earth. If you're living in anxious times personally or as a nation, think about what is to come. The new creation that Jesus is bringing is a picture of peace, a picture of of safety, a picture of security. Now, uh, one last thing I just want to share. This is, this is the prophetic puzzle. This idea of um, the gardening image in Isaiah 11, I think it matters to Jesus because in the final, both in Paul's letter to Romans, he picks up on this image, the root of Jesse. And in the final chapter of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, Actually, it's in Revelation 5 and Revelation 22, the idea that Jesus is the root of David or of Jesse. By the way, you've got the kings of Israel, are, forget Saul, you've got King David, and his father was Jesse. But Jesse wasn't a king, so Jesse's granddad, then King David, King Solomon, they are the glory days of the kingdom of Israel, team Jesse. And Isaiah comes along and says, now the kingdom is like a stump. It's like a tree that's fallen down. It's fallen apart. But a shoot will come 
from the stump of Jesse. Now, this is kind of, I don't know anything about gardening. You know more, more about gardening, I'm sure, Paul. But there are shoots and there are roots, right? And there's a, there's a play on the image in Isaiah 11 that Jesus then kind of owns in Revelation 22. Let me just start with Isaiah and I'll read to you the Revelation bit. If you're a shoot from the stump of Jesse, it means you're another descendant of Jesse, that the Messiah will be born in the line of Jesse, David, Solomon. There'll be a fresh branch will come out of this stump. That's right, right? That's, that's pretty obvious. That is the, in the incarnation, the messianic lineage of Jesus, that he's born in the line of David. But it also has this idea of he's not just a shoot, but he's a root. A shoot grows out, but a root is deeper under the stump. So chapter 11, verse 1, a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Now I'm playing with this a bit because not all people agree with me on this. Some people just think root and shoot are the same. They both just mean outgrowths. But I actually think they're saying two different things. Like when Jesus says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, I'm the beginning and the end, I'm a shoot, but I'm also a root. You see it again in Isaiah in chapter 11, verse 10. He's called the root of Jesse. And so he's a branch that comes out of Jesse's line, but he also precedes Jesse, is my point. He's a shoot and he's a root. Because in Revelation 22, Jesus calls himself, I am the root and offspring of David. He's saying, I came after, but I also came before. Because God is, because I'm the eternal son. Because God is a trinity. Anyway, so I think this is really fun. In, in, in Romans chapter 15, Paul also calls him the root of Jesse. So he's, the, he's sort of the root of Jesse and the root of David. And there's, there's another part of Jesus' life where he makes the same point when he's talking to the Pharisees and he says to them, do you think the Messiah is a descendant of David? And they say, of course. And Jesus says, how, can, how did David call him Lord? He's older than David. Do you know, that, do you know those stories? And so this seems to be very important in, in biblical theology that the Messiah has to fulfill this puzzle. He has to come out of the stump and be the root of the stump. I think that's what Isaiah 11 is anticipating, that Jesus is the Messiah, will be the eternal Son of God out of the triune Godhead who will then rule the world as an incarnate descendant of David. So in Revelation 22.16, go home and reflect on this. I am the root and offspring of David. Also in Revelation chapter 4, where who will break the seals? Um, Weep no more. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. The one who, who came before him is also born in his line. Root and shoot. So Jesus is root and shoot. Let's wrap all this up. That's, that's all just theology, I guess. Anxiety in our world will be with us until Jesus returns and then he'll bring in the Isaiah 11 experience. 
where the knowledge of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea, where Jesus will be the spirit-filled centre of a new creation, a new government, a new society, where there's no more mourning or crying or pain. The old order of things will have passed away. Isaiah 11 is a picture of, of our eternity with him forever. I think on Isaiah's day, they were, they were supposed to then say, well, that's not how we are now. Let's work towards that in our society now. And I think Christians could do the same thing. We could say, if, if in the new creation, the oppressed will not be oppressed and the wicked will not get away with it, we ought to work for that now in our society, the same kind of justice. But as we begin Advent, this is December 3, the beginning of Advent, the lead up to Christmas, I want you to just have this sense, as soon as Jesus returns, that is our peace. That is our peace. Some of the Christian conspiracy theories do the opposite. They sell Christian books on apocalyptic stuff, making you think that you should be anxious and buy their books you know, to follow these apocalyptic theories. But actually, the return of Christ, ironically, is the end of anxiety. Unless you're outside the atonement, of course. If you're outside the atonement of Christ, then the judgment day is, is actually ought to be, be a strong cause for anxiety. Run to Jesus. Ask him to let his blood cover you. But if, if you stand in the blood of Christ, then let's look forward to our, this future kingdom where the lions and the wolves and there's such peace and there's such glory that Jesus will just transform everything. Let's live for heaven is what I'm saying. Can I, can I pray for us? Dear Lord Jesus, we long for your return where you, we will live in this creation. Please help calm our anxieties in this life as we look forward to that day. Please help us to long to be uh, with you face to face and with all, with all our loved ones in you as well. Dear Lord Jesus, please help us to, in your name, uh, try to live in a way that reflects our eternity now in this world. Be glorified, Lord Jesus, and we praise you that you are both descendant of David and the eternal Son of God who precedes him. Amen.